Revelation chapter number 4 and verse number 2. The Bible says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardis stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Around about the throne there were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded the lightning and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was, beast was likened to a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the fourth beast had each of them six wings, four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and which is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him with that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Father, I pray this morning in Jesus' name God that you'll help us these next few moments. Lord, as we've been reminded in Sunday school that we're nothing and that without you we can do nothing. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll take these lips of clay this morning. It may not be the voice of man, but I pray the voice of God would speak to our heart today. Help us, Lord, to receive with meekness the engrafted word, and may we be sensitive to the will of God for our life. I pray the Holy Spirit would deal with every heart, both saved and lost. I pray for the lost to be saved and the backslid to be reclaimed. And God, I pray this morning, those that may be in the will of God but may be discouraged, would you encourage them and strengthen them and help us to do what you would have us to do and we'll love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach a few minutes this morning on this subject, on God's holy throne. God's holy throne. You'll notice in verse number two, the Bible says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Then in verse number eight, the Bible said, talking about those beasts, in the middle part of that verse, the word of God said, they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and which is to come. God's holy throne. When you think about Revelation chapter four and five, 17 times we find the word throne is mentioned in these two chapters. When you come to chapter four, the throne that is mentioned in chapter four is seen as a throne of government. It is one as God is sitting on that throne. The Bible makes it clear in verse number two that there was one that sat upon that throne. And the one that sat upon that throne, the Bible said in verse number eight that those beasts cried and said he is holy, holy, holy. He is Lord God Almighty. Amen? So it is God's holy throne. It is a throne of government. In chapter 5, it is a throne of grace because in the midst of that throne, the Bible said there stood a lamb. Amen? And there's a lamb in chapter 5, but when we come to chapter 4, we'll see that there is no lamb mentioned in chapter number 4. This is a throne of government. But the comforting thing about chapter 4 for us that are saved is to 
note this morning that when we come to chapter four and chapter five and even the not just the closing book but the closing chapter of this closing book, what we find is that there's been a lot of kings that have come and gone. There's a lot of kings that have been defeated. There's some that have been disqualified. There are others that have died. All have died. But when we come to the last book and the last chapter of that book, God is still on the throne. Amen? It was God that was on the throne in the beginning and it is God that is on the throne in the end. Amen? And when John sees this throne here, he draws our attention to it immediately because this throne was visible. It is the first thing that John sees as he is called to come up hither. He doesn't see the pearly gates. He doesn't see the wall of Jasper. The walls of Jasper. He doesn't see the gates of pearl. But the first thing that John lays his eyes on is the throne. It's visible. He talks about the visibility of this throne. He talks about the vastness of this throne. This throne reaches higher than the heavens. Amen. And the glory and the honor and the praise that is given is given not to others, but it's given to the one that is on that throne. Amen. I'm going to tell you something about heaven, friend. It's not going to be about anybody else, and it's not going to be about anything else. It's going to be about the one that sits on that throne. Amen. And there's the visibility, and there's the vastness of that throne. And then, thank God, there's the visitation of that throne. I'm glad that God, as high and as holy as he is, he allowed John to come into his presence. Amen. He allowed those 24 elders to come into his presence. Uh, Hebrews 4 said that we in this life can come to the throne of grace and mercy. We can come into his presence. Uh, The wonderful thing about this throne is not the vastness of it. It's not just the visibility of it, but it's the fact that you and I as sinful and as wicked as we are by the grace and the mercy of God, we can come into his presence uh, and we can visit at the very throne of God, amen. I thought about Brother Blue this week. And like so many others, me and my wife, we wept for days and cried as he seemed like he was just gone so quickly. Me and my wife was going down the road and she said something to me that I hadn't forgotten. She said, I can tell you exactly what Brother Blue's doing right now or where he's at. I said, well, he's in heaven. She said, that's not what I mean. She said, he, I believe he's at the throne of God. And you know, I thought about that. I thought that's exactly right. Brother, I'm telling you, we talk about a lot of things and sights and sounds that heaven has to offer and no doubt it's gonna be wonderful and it's gonna be eternal bliss and it's certainly gonna be something to look at. Heaven is going to be a wonderful place. But I wanna tell you something, friend, what's gonna outshine everything It's not gonna be the mansions that are glistening. It's not gonna be the beautiful gates of pearl. It's not gonna be all the sights and the wonders that heaven has to offer. But there is a throne at the top of that summit at that mountain mountain that we're going to and my friend it will outshine everything I think about the blessedness of being able to come to the throne of God amen when we come to this text this morning John gives us three things I want you to see first of all I want you to note this morning the pictures that are around the throne you see John is going to give us several pictures around the throne they are literal pictures I do believe but I also think that there are things that are type and can be applied to our life I think that what John saw was not some figma of his imagination it was not some fairy tale it was not some hallucination but what John 
John saw was a literal throne and pictures and sights around that throne this morning. When I think about this throne, the pictures I see, he says in verse number three, he says, and he that sat up, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sard and stone. I thought about his character here as the Bible talks about a jasper and it talks about a sard and stone. Now, when you think about that this morning, that jasper, my friend, is that color of ruby. And that jasper and that sard and stone, that's the first and the last stone of those 12 stones that was on the high priest garment as he went into the presence of God. That garment that he wore, it had those 12 stones upon it representing the 12 tribes or the 12 sons of Jacob. And my friend, that first son was Reuben and that last son was Benjamin. And upon that garment, my friend, was that jasper and that sard of stone. It represents the character of God. God. He is the first and he is the last. Amen. I want to say this morning, just like he was the first and the last of that tribe, he's the first and the last of everything. Amen. And he said, he that was to look upon was like a jasper and a sardis stone. He was the first and he is the last. It talks about his character and then it talks about his covenant. Amen. Everything has to do with him. It's his throne. It's his character. It's his covenant. The Bible said that there was a rainbow around about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. That green rainbow around that throne. It has no beginning and it has no end, but it's a full circle. Amen. You remember that rainbow was the promise of God that was given in judgment, that it was given after judgment unto Noah. I want to say, my friend, God is the great promise keeper. Amen. And this rainbow represents life. Amen. For God is life. Isn't that right? And green represents represents life. When you see the green on the trees and you see the green on the flowers and you see the green on the grass, what does it represent? It tells us that there's life there, amen? And that full circle tells us that there's no beginning and that there's no end, that he is eternal, amen? And that the covenant that God made, my friend with Israel and my friend that he's made with the church, he's gonna keep it, thank God, for that's who he is, amen? And so it's his character and then it's his covenant and then there's his congregation as the Bible said in verse number four that round about the throne were four and twenty seats and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their head crowns of gold. Amen. Now who do these twenty-four elders represent? Twelve of them represents uh, the twelve tribes of the Old Testament and twelve of them represents the apostles of the New Testament for the same God of the Old Testament. He's the same God in the New Testament. Amen. I'm glad, my friend, he said, I am the Lord and I change not. Amen. The God of eternity past is the God of eternity present and he'll be the God of eternity future. That's his character. That's his covenant. That's his congregation. I'm gonna say this morning, I'm glad that I know him for who he is. Amen. Then I see his clothing as the Bible said that they were clothed in white raiment. You think about that this morning. These 24 elders around that throne, they don't deserve to wear that raiment. I remind you that they were sinful flesh at one time just like we are. My friend, they at one time walked in the rags of their sin and the filth of their own sinfulness just like every one of us. 
But as we see, they've left this world. They've went to the glory world and around the throne of God, they've received a new garment, amen? You say, whose garment is that? That's his garment, amen? There's not one spot in it. There's not one blemish in it. There's not one wrinkle in it. I'm glad they've got a new identity, amen? And when he looks upon them, he doesn't see their righteousness. He sees his own righteousness, amen? Can I tell you, when we get to heaven one of these days, he'll not see see me as I am, but he'll see me as worthy, thank God, for he'll see me through the blood of Christ, and thank God he'll give me a new garment, and it'll be clean and white, and that's his clothing that they're wearing, amen, and then it's his crowns, notice the Bible said that they had on their head crowns of glory, of gold, amen, you say, well, those are their crowns, it said that it was on their heads, it was their heads, but it wasn't their crowns. You know who gave them them crowns? He gave them those crowns. I like that old song that says, we shall wear a crown, amen. And I want to tell you one of these days, by the grace of God, we are going to wear a crown. But you'll note in verse number 10 what they did with that crown, those crowns. The Bible said in the latter part, the word of God said the four and 20 elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and they worshiped him that liveth forever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and by thy pleasure they are and were created. I want to tell you the reason I want to wear a crown is not so I can strut around glory. And like Brother Danny told about this morning, not so everybody can look at me, but I want to wear a crown, don't you? I want a crown so that in eternity I'll have something that I can give back to him who has gave everything for me. Amen? I'm telling you, free up now. It's his crown. It's his clothing. It's his covenant. It's his character. The pictures all point us back to the one that is sitting on the throne. Hallelujah. You know, that's what's gonna make heaven heaven is it ain't gonna be about nobody but him. And isn't that gonna be wonderful? Have you ever been in a good service when it was all about him and then somebody killed it talking about themselves? Somebody say amen. I, Brother Danny got to teach him this morning. I said, oh, Lord, God knows what I'm preaching on and told him what to teach on and it just fit like a glove, amen? You see, the more we make songs about him and less about us, the more glory he gets out of it. The more we preach about him and less about ourselves, the more he gets glory about it. The more we testify about him and give honor to him, the more he'll show up, amen? It's got to be about him, hallelujah. Oh, I tell you, I don't want people to see me, do you? Oh, but we need to see Jesus. There's the pictures around this throne. Then there's the purpose around this throne. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. You know that? God has a purpose. And when we come to this text this morning, there's certainly a purpose in this throne. I know the throne of God always has a purpose, but I'm saying in chapter four, there's a particular purpose because this is a courtroom scene in chapter four. You've got the throne, you've got those seats around the throne, you've got the spirit of God there. There's a courtroom scene. There's judgment is fixing to be poured out. 
Now I want to tell you when you look at this text this morning and when you see this scene that's taking place, what are these pictures and these things that are telling us? It tells us the purpose of why this throne is being shown in chapter four and why John is being allowed to visit this throne in chapter four. It's all about God about to pour out his wrath and pour out his judgment and John is a witness on the witness stand of life and he's about to take notes. He's about to dictate everything that's going to take place and he's gonna get it from the very throne of God himself. When you look at this chapter and this judgment here, I see in verse number five, that this is a very fearful judgment. As the Bible said that out of the throne proceedeth lightnings and thunderings and voices. Uh, there are sights and sound. Uh, uh, listen, lightning and thunder. It's a very fearful thing. Isn't that right? Have you ever just had a bolt of lightning hit the ground? And I mean it just uh, I mean it just rattle you and just shake you or maybe a thunderbolt that would be so loud uh, uh, that it would just uh, shatter. It would just raise the rafters uh, and the ground would shake. Uh, it would get your attention, isn't that right? It would get those attention around. I wanna tell you this judgment is gonna get this world's attention, amen? It's gonna get the attention of every atheist and every heathen and every God-denying sinner that ever turned their back on God. It's gonna get the attention of every lazy, slothful Christian that wouldn't give God their best. It is a fearful judgment this morning. Not only is it a fearful judgment, but it's a factual judgment. Notice what the Bible says. The word of God said that there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Those lamps of fire, those seven spirits represent the Holy Spirit. He is complete, amen. And I'm gonna tell you the Holy Spirit is gonna be the prosecutor at that judgment. He's gonna be the one, my friend, that's gonna do the prosecuting of those that are lost. He's gonna be the one that's gonna do the prosecuting. He's gonna be the witness that's gonna stand there. I wanna tell you, my friend, the Spirit of God will give a factual judgment. No one's gonna be judged wrong. No one will stand before God one day and say, God, you didn't treat me fair. Lord, you didn't give me a chance. I, I want to tell you, my friend, everything, every charge that's going to be brought up, every charge that's going to be laid out, it'll be facts. There'll be no false judgment in that day. You ought to think about that if you're lost this morning. You'll never argue with God at the throne and win. In fact, the the truths that will be laid out at the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment, there'll be no argument over that. It's a fixed and a final judgment. Verse six tells us that before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. What do you think about the sea today? What's it made of? It's made of water. And that water, my friend, is it moves and it and it moves around. There's no stability with water. There's no strength in that water. It's constantly churning and constantly moving. But this sea is a fixed sea. It is a final sea. It is a sea of glass. It is solid. There's no, there's no changing with the wind. There's no up and down. There's no movement about it. It's a sea of glass. I I want to tell you, upon that glassy sea for us that are saved, that's going to be wonderful. But for those that are lost at that fearful judgment day, they will find out that there'll be no place to run and there'll be no place to hide, that the judgment will be true, but it'll be fixed and it will be final on that day. You know, if you're lost this morning, you don't get saved. And you die and stand before God, you've waited too late. Well, I'll plead my case, but your judgment has already been set. 
The Bible said in Hebrews 9, 27, that it is appointed a man once to die. And after this, the judgment. The judgment of the great white throne will be that those that are in hell will be brought up out of hell and they'll stand before God. And two different times in Revelation 20, it said that the dead are judged according to their works. What they're gonna be given is their final place and punishment in the lake of fire according to the life that they have lived. No deed will go unnoticed in this walk of life. God will judge every deed of every man, whether he be saved or lost. We'll have to give an account of ourselves for ourselves to God, amen. It is a final judgment. I wanna say it's a fundamental judgment. Notice that the Bible says in verse number seven that the beasts were likened to a lion. The word of God says here that the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast is the face of a man, and the fourth as that of a flying eagle. You say, Brother Gravity, what do you mean a fundamental judgment? I mean that these four pictures of these beasts that we see here, they represent the gospel. When the Bible talks about the first beast being that uh, uh, that was likened to a lion, Matthew is the king of the Jews. That It talks about the sovereignty of God, how the, the lion is sovereign king of the jungle, and that lion talks about his sovereignty. That second beast, the Bible said, was likened to a cow. That cow speaks of service and sacrifice. Mark said he was the servant of God. Is that right? Jesus was the servant of God. That third one, the Bible said his face was like that of a man. What did Luke say that Christ was? He said he was the son of man and he came and he preached the gospel and then that of an eagle finally is that of soaring victory and in the book of John the Bible tells us how that we can know Christ and we can know the son and the gospel was sent out into all the regions of the world and the victory was given through the gospel. What are you saying preacher? I'm saying man will be without excuse because the very beast themselves will represent the fact that the gospel has been given to the four regions of this world and this earth, the whole world is under the judgment of God, amen. All this morning, those are the purpose. What about you this morning, friend? Do you know Christ? Do you know that you're saved this morning? Because it is a fatal judgment. As I mentioned in the early part of this message, there's no lamb in chapter four because this is God's throne in chapter four. Chapter four, this is about God, the creator. All things were created for him and by him and for his pleasure. This is God sitting upon that throne and it's God's dealing with mankind. God is getting ready to pour out the vials, the judgment, the seven seals, the trumpets. He's about to ascend the tribulation period of time like the world has never seen before. And while there'll be tribulation on earth, we that are saved will be at the judgment seat of Christ and there'll be the, the judgment seat. We'll stand before God. Saints are gonna be judged. The world is gonna be judged. In hell will be those that are lost without God still under the judgment of God. Those fallen angels will be there and they'll be reserved in chains of darkness unto the judgment of the great day. God will prove that he is a God of mercy. He is a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath and he's a God of judgment this morning. You know, we ought to fear him today. We ought to serve him because we love him, but we ought to serve him because we fear him. Finally, I want you to see this morning not only the pictures around this throne, the purpose around this throne, but I want you to see this morning the praise that's around this throne. Brother, when we get to verse number eight, I read this the other day and about had a shout and spell myself, amen. Probably will have one before I'm done. I'm just gonna go ahead and pre-warn you, amen. I feel it coming on, Brother Laddie. 
Because when I read these verses, I see these four beasts. They picture Christ, the lion, the face of a man, the calf, the soaring eagle. They picture Christ. You want to know why they look so much like him? Because they spend so much time with him. They are with him, so they look like him. I want to tell you, one of these days, we're going to be in his image. Amen? Thank God the Bible said, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear. We shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. I may not look like much right now but wait till we get to the other side. Thank God. I'm glad this old robe of flesh out drop and rise to cease the everlasting prize. This old flesh will be eradicated and a glorified body like unto the Son of God will be given to every blood washed believer. One of no sin. One of no sickness. One that'll never know suffering. One that'll have no struggle and no sorrows. Won't it be glory on the other side when we're made into the likeness and the image of Christ. Amen. But if you want to know what God's will is right now down here, it's that we that are saved will be conformed to be as much like Christ now as he can be. You see, Christianity is not about conduct. It's not about character. It's not about church. You say, oh preacher, I thought Christianity was about all. No. Christianity is about one thing, one person. It's about Christ. There are people who have character and conduct in church, but they don't have Christ. And to be a Christian means to be more like Jesus. Means to be more like him. And these beasts are before this throne. And I'll tell you, I see their wings. The cherubim was the highest intellectual being that God had created. And the Bible said they had six wings. Those wings represent their intelligence. And they're before the throne of God. I I see people down here and they they have great uh, intellect and they have great degrees, but oftentimes with that intelligent, what comes if we're not careful, just what he talked about this morning with great intellect becomes uh, pride. If man is not careful, man begins to lift himself up because of the more that he knows, uh, he feels that higher education puts him on a higher level and he feels that he's beyond others and that he knows more and so therefore man begins to think more highly of himself than what he really is. Uh, I want to tell you something, these beasts uh, are Maphrian cherubims, they have six wings, uh, they are the highest of God's intellectual beings uh, but the higher they are, the more they want to know him, the more they think upon him. Uh, I want to tell you something, the more you know about God, it ought to bring us down, not lift us up. Amen. The more you know about Christ, the less you'll think of yourself. Brother, I see the wings of these angels. They inspire me, these beasts. I see the wisdom. Notice the Bible said here that they're full of eyes within. That talks about they have clear vision, clear insight. They're at the throne of God, friend. There's no questions at God's throne. Can I get an amen right there? At the throne of God, there's no wonder except the wonder of wonders. 
and the throne of God. There's no looking back and wondering why this or why that. These intellectual beings, uh, they can see clearly. You say, how can they see so clearly? Because they're at the throne and they're really just looking into the one that created everything. Do you know the more that you see Christ, uh, the more you'll understand this world, the more you see Christ, uh, the less questions you'll have. The more you see Christ, uh, the less fear and less worry that you'll have. The more we see Christ, uh, the more satisfied the more happy we are. I'm talking about they've got clear insight because they're at the throne of God. One of these days, there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more storm clouds. There'll be no more questions in life. I think this verse alone proves that when we get to heaven, Brother Barnes, we're not gonna ask why. Once we get to the throne and we see him, what happened down here? will mean nothing anymore. They're so close to the presence of God. They're looking into the face of the one, his face. They see him as a jasper and a sardis. They see him for who he is. And I see their wisdom. I see the will of these beasts. Notice the Bible said they rest not day and night saying holy, holy, holy. I'm talking about, listen, you talk about devoted will to do one thing. You know what it is? It's to worship God. You know what? It's three minutes to 12 right now. And if you're not careful, you will have come to church and failed to do the one thing that you came to church to do, and that's worship. You know what the devil does the second you pull on the grounds? He works overtime to get your mind on everything and anything. And I want to tell you something. There's nothing more important than worshiping God. There ain't nothing, no responsibility. There is no business. There is nothing that we would ever have that would ever go on in our life that would be more important than worshiping God. And the devil will put everything in your mind and your path all for one reason. You say, how do you know that? Because I'm the pastor. And when I come to church, uh, there's a lot of responsibilities. There's a lot of things. And I'm not saying that to try to build my flesh up. Please don't misunderstand that. But I realize the most important thing for me being here this morning is not to see that I get every deed done and every and every uh, team cross and every eye dotted. My number one responsibility is not even just to preach or, or to conduct a service, uh, but my number one responsibility is that I push everything out of view, that I get my eyes only on him, and that I don't think about problems, I don't think about responsibilities, uh, but I think about worshiping the one that is worthy to be praised. Uh, I want to say they rest not day and night, friend. They cannot stop worshiping God. I believe if we could ever get that close to the throne, uh, we wouldn't want to stop, amen, and they've got the physical stamina, and they've got the intellectual mind to not stop, amen, I think when we see him, we'll never stop worshiping him, amen, you ever been in a good worship service and didn't want to go home, but you know you had to go home, because there's always some backslid church members that are ready to go home, amen, but I've been in them services where, man, if we'd have stayed all night till in the morning, it got so good. I don't know if it got so good, but we got so far out we didn't want to find our way back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you get so far out there. Uh, as the old saying is, you got to have a C&I dog to get your way back. Boy, I like it when the presence of God. Hey, that isn't just at church. Uh, I want to tell you, there's some times, uh, oh, thank God, uh, when you get alone with him uh, and you open that book uh, and you could just stay all day long uh, and you could just pray all day long. Uh, sometimes my flesh doesn't want to pray and it finds me in prayer, but there have been a few times, uh, uh, thank God when you touched heaven's throne uh, that you didn't want 
want to leave. It was just so good. He was just so rich. Sometimes this old voice gives out and physically we can't worship anymore but on the other side we'll have a voice. As a songwriter said, that'll never tire and it'll never grow old. We'll sing as a million years go by. We'll lift up the lovely lamb and the Lord Jesus Christ will worship while the ages roll. Hallelujah. Won't it be wonderful over there? Hallelujah. Won't it be wonderful when everybody sings in perfect harmony? Won't it be wonderful when everybody lifts their voice up? Won't it be wonderful when there's no madness, when there's no misunderstanding? Won't it be wonderful when there's no sad faces? Won't it be wonderful when time will be no more and we'll just sing and we'll just worship? I'm talking about the wisdom and my friend, the will, the devoted will to worship God. You know, this morning, just like these beings, God created you and he created me. And every day that we get up, the first thing, the first devoted thing in our mind ought to be to worship God. And I'm not just talking about finding a place when I say that. But everything we do ought to glorify God. Working on the job ought to glorify God. Talking to people ought to give him glory. Going about our daily life ought to honor him. So, oh, but preacher, but I want to tell you something. We're so guilty, I say we, of belly aching and whining and complaining when the truth of the matter is we don't have anything to complain about. I'm telling you, anything this side of the grave and hell ought to be counted a blessing for the child of God. You say, but preacher, I've got sorrows. I want to tell you, you may have sorrows and I do too, but I've got more joy than I do sorrow this morning. I'm telling you, the good of being saved always outweighs the bad and the good of being lost. Isn't that right? I'm telling you the fact that I'm not leaning toward hell this morning and that I'm not one heartbeat from hell, that I'm not one breath from the fiery pit this morning. That ought to be enough to wake me up every morning and lift my hands toward heaven and say, God, come what may. You've been better to me this morning than I ever deserved. I'm telling you to get up and to have life and to have family and to have breath and to know Jesus makes it worth living and he ought to be praised, hallelujah, this morning. He ought to be glorified. I want to say the words of these beasts. Look at what they say. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. I want to tell you something that's not popular today, church. But it's the fact. It's the truth. If you want to know what God's agenda is in our life, it is to get us more like him, as I said before. And to be more like Jesus means that God's agenda is to get us as holy as he can get us down here to prepare us for over there. What about in a church world where people want to live unholy? When God's agenda is to be holy. Our songs ought to be holy. Amen. Our dress standards ought to be holy. I'm talking about everything. Our words, our speech ought to be holy. We ought not say unholy things. We ought not say little slang things that are unholy. You say, I don't cuss. No, but you get as close to it as you can. Well, I'll not say little innuendos. Things that 
that dishonor and displease and we ought to not say things that are disgraceful and despiteful and we ought to not, just because something's true doesn't mean it has to be told, isn't that right? I'm talking about we ought to be working on holiness in this day in a time when so many people want to see how close to the line they can get without completely going over. God's agenda is not to see how close to the line we can get but how far away from the line we can get that we might get closer to that line, God's line, his standard is holy. And say, man, and people say, well, you know, you're just trying to be super spiritual. If I can, I want to be, amen. I want to be as spiritual. I thought that's the goal. It's to be as spiritual as what we can be down here to get us ready for over there. God is a holy God. His spirit is a holy spirit. His book is a holy book. His heaven is a holy heaven. His son is a holy son. His salvation is a holy salvation. I'm here to tell you this morning, his people ought to be a holy people. It's not popular today, but it's true. Amen. And I think what's true is what ought to be preached. This morning, I'll say this in closing. What worship leads to is ultimate praise. Because in verse number eight, when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever, look what happens. The four and twenty elders fall down. What I see about their praise is the submission of it. They fall down. And there's a sacrifice. They give their crowns and the same. They say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You know what happens? When these beasts started worshiping, I'll tell you what it did. It spread to these 24 elders. And it caused them to get in on it. You say, How are we going to know when to worship when we get to heaven? Very simple. When the beast fall down and start worshiping, we'll know the service just started. Is that right? I'm gonna tell you something. They started glorifying him and when they made the announcement, holy, 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 Lord of God Almighty, which is, which was, and which is to come, them elders knew exactly what to do. They fell down, they took the crowns off their feet, they cast them at, or took them off their head and cast them at his feet. And they said, thou art worthy, O Lord to give glory and honor and power for thou hast created and all things were created for thy pleasure. I want to tell you this morning, there's nothing better than a worship service. Somebody say amen. amen. And I just want to go on notice and say this, this is an old-fashioned Baptist church. Somebody say amen. amen. And I'll tell you, listen, you don't have to act like me and I don't have to act like you, but for God's sake, don't get mad because somebody shout. Somebody say amen right there. I'm telling you, friend, listen, Baptists were shouting. They've been shouting for years and years and God, the Bible said, has gone up with a shout. He's coming back with a shout. You say, well, I don't like shouting. Well, if you don't like shouting, you're going to have a hard time when you get to heaven, friend. You're going to have to go to kindergarten class and learn how to praise God. That's all I can say. Because, friend, there's going to be some worshiping. There's going to be some praising. There's going to be some magnified. I say the house of God ought to not be like a mortuary. It ought to be not like a cemetery. But if you're saved and blood washed and born, born again, you ought to magnify God. Hallelujah. Now, I can't be still. I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm that way seven days a week. It doesn't matter. My wife told me, she said she can't hardly sleep at night because I move around even when I'm sleeping. I can't help it. Amen. It don't burn no fat, I can tell you that much. She'll get up some days. She'll say, man, I didn't sleep at all. I said, what's wrong? I slept great. She said, you moved all night long. I don't know. I'm always running for my life. I, I just always am. Not my wife, my life, amen. 
But you know what? That's just how it is. If I go to, I don't go to ball games anymore. But I'm telling you, if I went to a ball game and I'm pulling for a team, and if they score a touchdown, listen, I'm going to stand up and shout. I'm on by me. I'm there to pull for the team. I'm not just going to sit there and do that, you know. And if that's what you do, help yourself. But I come to get in. Amen. Well, I tell you, listen. If I can get excited about something earthly, and I don't do that anymore, if you do that, that's fine. But I'm telling you, if I could get excited about something earthly, I'm just here to tell you, I ought to get 10 times more excited about something heavenly free up. I'm telling you, we're on the winning side. We're going to heaven when this life is over with. We don't have to go to hell. Thank God he's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Preaching in a church a couple years ago and a man came up to me. He said, well, he said, I, I could have enjoyed it if you wasn't done all that hollering. I started to say something and God said, just be quiet. I said, God bless you, sir. He'll have to, amen. Do you know what? 50 years ago, this wasn't even normal in most churches. And I'm telling you, everybody don't, there are people, they can go to ball games and they don't, they don't break a sweat and that's fine. There are people sit around, they cry, they smile, they laugh, they enjoy God, they don't have to act like me. But the thing I'm saying is, don't get nervous if somebody magnifies God. Why? I could never act that way. You don't have to. Just enjoy them acting that way. 